together. We're so grateful to gather. Thank you that so many have braved the storm and came out uh, to be a part of the preaching and teaching, the worship, the fellowship of the saints, Lord. Lord, bless them. Father, there's others that could not make it for one reason or another. We know that some have illnesses, Lord. Some are sick. And Lord, I pray that you would heal them during this time. They would be caused to look to you in a greater way, Lord. Lord, thank you for those who, who care for those who are shut in in our church. We're so grateful for that ministry, Lord. Be with those. Even now, they're watching, many of them. And Lord, Lord, help them understand that they're loved here and they still have great ministry. Lord, keep them running for you. Lord, we thank you for our missionaries. Lord, we're excited to have Patty home. And Lord, we pray that we would be good stewards of our missionaries, Lord. We would not wear them out when they're home, but encourage them and love them. And strengthen them and get them ready to go back to the field, Lord. They really are our extension of our church in so many ways, Lord. So thank you for each and every one of those, Lord. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to have Riverbend Church in this community here. May we be community-minded. May we realize that what we have, our community needs desperately. They don't know it. They don't know they're lost in darkness. And so, Lord, may we be light. May we show the love of God in our life daily. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 13 is our text. This is a part two. I entitled the sermon, and started this last week, this little series, and I'll return to 1 Corinthians next week, but entitled this series, Love Without Limits, and it's really a challenge to our church, a challenge to our church to whether we could, we can be a solid, theologically, Christ-centered, Bible-centered church, and yet still be a loving church. This is what Apostle Paul, this is what John, this is what the apostles were after as they push the church very clearly and plainly in the scriptures to be both theologically sound and reflect the love of God. Well, as we started the service off last week, we were reminded, I shared some things I'd learned from reading and what I've been seeing the world go through, and we, we saw that the world is just in a hysteria, isn't it? Depression medicine is being dispensed at high levels. Alcoholism, suicide is beyond the chart. I mean, it's unbelievable what's going on in suicide right now. They don't know how to handle these things. The world needs to see someone who loves God. And, 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 and yet, at the same time, the world's attacking the church. Uh, they don't care for our biblical view of marriage, our biblical view of gender. And, and, and so, so there's battles going on here. They're, they're full of depression. They're full of fear. They're full of worry and anxiety. And yet, the ones who by God's grace, have given the answer through God's word, they, they seem to want to attack. But I think for the church and for, I think for myself as well, it's easy to kind of target those who maybe target us. The, the challenge in this is to love even when they don't believe us. It's much harder to be loving. It's very easy to have somebody approach you and turn and fire on them, right? That's what Jesus did so well, right? When he was reviled, he did not. Revile and return, right? He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. This is the way Jesus handled himself, and this is what true biblical love does, and this is our challenge. And so the biblical love must start with the household of faith. We're the ones that believe the Bible. We believe this is God's word. We believe it's inerrant. We believe it's flawless. We believe even its teaching on marriage and gender is perfect. And the world needs that. And so it is us that it must start with. And so our challenge to Riverbend Community Church is, can we excel still more? Can we be a church that's known for loving one another and loving those who come into our doors and loving those within our community? But we marked this last week that a challenge like this takes some self-reflection, doesn't it? It's easy to say, oh, go get them, Pastor. Yeah, let's do that. But I've had to self-reflect. My failures have come forth in this. You have, to, you have to be willing to say, do I present struggles the way I respond to people? Do I love? What does a loving church look like? Well, a loving church is one where every member strives to die to self so that the church 
would be sanctified and it would reflect the beauty of its Savior. That's, that's a loving church. Sanctified, set apart for the Lord. We belong to Him. He's our Master. He's our Lord. And our goal is to be like our Master. That's what the Bible teaches us to do, to be like Him. And as we strive to do that, the beauty of Christ is seen. So a loving church means we love the sheep, all of them. And I said this last week and someone commented on it. We love the white collar, the blue collar, and the no collar. Right? And in this church, there's those of every collar here. Some God is blessed with money. Some get by and some don't have much. And yet we love one another. We're family members. We care for one another. God healed. There's people who have been broken here that God has healed. And there's people that are still broken in here that, that, that are trying to understand the grace of God in their life. They need love. So we love them. The new believer, the old believer, every tribe, tongue. There's, there's no racial division within God's church. It's one of the things the world desperately needs to see from us that we are not divided by race and economics and all of those things. Oh, God loves his church so much that it should well up within us. And so we love like Christ loves. That's our goal. And a loving church means that we address the things that mar the reputation of Jesus Christ. He's not marred by his own doings. We mar that. And so at times we have to address those things. Because there's a watching world out there. I was reading a few sermons of Charles Spurgeon on this subject this week. Uh, in the late, mid to late 1800s, he tackled these things. And one of the end of his sermons here was a prayer recorded in it and was left in the sermon. And so I want to read that to you. I want you to know that we're not the only ones that struggle, that have to challenge the church from time to time to say, are we loving individually and as a group? So, you know, Spurgeon's church exploded. A man came to, to town, came to London, and began to preach. And, and it was amazing the growth that took place there. Many, many were saved, and the church grew in great numbers. And yet Spurgeon knew that there was an attraction to religiosity, religious, being religious, being one who steps in the right line, does those things, and yet doesn't know God. He knew that there were people in the church that, that loved the preaching but didn't love the Christ who he was preaching. And so he challenged the church, and at the end of one of these sermons, here's what he said, Lord, send your life throughout the entire church. Visit your church. Restore sound doctrine and holy, earnest living. Take away the professing Christian, take away from the professing Christian their love of frivolities and their attempt to meet the world on its ground. Give back the old love of the doctrines of the cross and Christ. Make free grace and dying love again be the music that refreshes the church and makes her heart exceedingly glad. Did you hear that? He says, remove the frivolous things Christians love to get lost in. Frivolous things that, that block the gospel in our message. Remove that from the church. And then he said this. I thought this was so important. Take away the attempt to meet the world on its own ground. If there's any problem with today's Christian church, that's the issue, isn't it? We want to be like them. So we change our doctrine, we change our truth, we deny truth that God said in the scriptures and church after church is falling by the wayside. See, Spurgeon, way back even in the 1800s, knew that grace and a dying love for the Jesus Christ needs to be the refreshment of the church. And so every once in a while we need to stop and take in a personal, you, me, each of us, a personal examination of how we love where we don't love, where we get hurt easy, where we fail to forgive and fail to reconcile. These are the things that stop a church from really being the arms and the hands of its Savior. Last week we looked at two. Just want to refresh our memory, the first two points here. We said that 
Unconditional love is a gift to God's true children, but not to the world. And again, that seems harsh, doesn't it? But that's what the Bible says, right? The Bible teaches us that God has given this agape love, this unconditional love to his children, and we understand it, and the world does not. Notice in verse 7, we saw that the Bible commands us in a, in a very present tense, let us love one another. We, we, we translate it, let us, because of the use of the verb there, says that we have all the potential to love like God loves. Let us love one another. And then we realize that love is from God. It's a gift of God. He gives it to us. He gives you love. He gives us the ability to love one another. And notice everyone who, is, who loves is born of God. It gives you proof of your salvation if you're an unloving and hateful and bitter for a person. Oh, my friend, I would want to know if you really know Jesus. But we know God, right? The Bible says because we know God. God's love through his word gives you this intimate knowledge of him. If you don't know him, you'll study the Bible and you'll never have an intimate, personal relationship with God. But when you know him, when you know he saved you from your sins and his son bled on that cross for you, it open, he opens up your mind at the time of salvation. He opens up your heart to know who he is. Love begins to flow. Verse 8, we looked at, we realized that we can experience true love, but the world can't. Notice verse 8 said, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Because they don't know God. See, the world has a designer God. It may not even be a being. It may be something they want or desire so much. But they have a designer God. We see this more and more. If your God is really the God of the Bible, then he'll accept me how I am. See, people want to, they want to change God so they don't have to change. It's all about bowing the knee to God. And so what happens, think about this. If you don't come to God God's way, you never learn what true forgiveness is because you never receive forgiveness. So forgiveness is very difficult for you. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to truly forgive and forget and walk away from those things and trust in God because you don't know him. It's very difficult to reconcile. The world has no ability to reconcile. I think the Republicans and the Democrats are all going to come, hey, let's just stop this. Let's all be one great group. They're never going to do that. And it's never going to happen. There's always going to be huge racial tension and problems in the world. You're not going to find the utopia they're looking for because it's only found in Jesus Christ. And so they don't know how to reconcile. They don't know how, what justification is, being righteous, because, not because of our own works. In fact, our own works condemned us. But they don't know justification. They don't know righteousness because they don't believe in the one who can dress us in his own righteousness, that Jesus died for them. They're always after peace. Peace in the Middle East. Peace in the races. Peace in all this stuff. When you reject the Prince of Peace, you're never going to find peace. He's the only one that can bring peace to your heart. A soul that is unrest. That think, just how, how does the loss deal with death? I had two services this week. Interesting enough, both known, named Bill and both love the Lord Jesus Christ. They had peace when they died. They were right with God through Jesus Christ, not because of their own personalities or who they were or their works that they did. They experienced the fruit of the Spirit. They loved. They had joy. They had peace. They had patience. They had kindness. And again, we wrestled to do those things perfectly. But they had those things. And that's because of verse 9 and 10, because, see, they know that God's love was manifested in us through the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the incarnation of, the, of Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, God manifested, displayed his love for us, that he sent his son to be our propitiation. There was no way, think about this, there was no way for us ever to get to the Father if the Son does not come and die in our place in order to appease the wrath of God against a holy God, the wrath against, that he had against us. And so Jesus Christ does this for us. 
And this is what propels us, and this is our second point. It compelling, it gives us now a compelling desire to practice unconditional love. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God is so love, if God, if, excuse me, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. See, love lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It really does. That's why it's the first of the, of the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, many say it's the, it, everything comes from that love. All the joy and peace and patience and kindness and all that flows from that love that the Spirit gives us. So it's at the heart of it. And you know you experience love, Christian, in here, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. In fact, that's the thing you probably felt the greatest, is you felt the love of God forgiving you through Jesus Christ. And see, this compels us to live out these doctrines, practice this unconditional love. I, I think one of the things I said last week, I can't, can't remember if I said this or not, John 3, 16 is this great verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John takes that a step further. He puts the word us in here, right, in verse 11. If God so loved us, so it makes it very personal, right? The world tells us that God does love the world. He loves the entire world, but he has a unique relationship of those that believe in him, have this tremendous love for us, and it causes this this understanding for his children to accept this love. I want you to think about this love. This love we receive from God is a deep love. It's not shallow. Humans struggle with shallow love, don't we? What did you do for me lately? See, it's shallow. our love's shallow. His is extremely deep. It's a love that's so pure. Our love's often tainted, isn't it? We'll withhold it. We'll muddy it up. We'll let the world confuse our thinking on what love is, but not God's. His love is pure. His love is perfect. It's a love that only God could generate. It's a love that we could only receive apart from our own works. That's what makes it so lovely, right? The minute I say, oh God, I want your love. Here's a bunch of things I did for you. I really tainted it. See, it's unconditional. It's not based on anything. So Jude said, keep yourself in the love of God. And that's what we strive to do. Jesus himself said, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is like it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And I love that Jesus took and put equality to that. Love the Lord with all your heart and mind and soul and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the response to that, isn't it? Well, who's your neighbor? She or he is sitting next to you. In fact, it starts right here. This is the household of faith. This is the relationship. And then from there it flows out. And this love of Christ causes us to, to love one another. And John heard this command. And this is what's flowing out in the book of 1 John. Is, is John sitting there at the feet of Jesus. And longing, longing to display the love that Jesus displayed for him. Well, that brings us to our last three thoughts that I want to get at this morning. And then we'll wrap this up with that final challenge. Third thought here in your notes. God and his love are manifested through those whom he loves and indwells. God and his love are manifested, made real is the idea there, through those whom he loves and indwells. Look at verses 12 and 13 with me. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Now, isn't it interesting that John would, I think kind of seemingly unexpecting, puts this statement in here, right, in verse 12. No one's seen God at any time. See that in verse 12? We're talking about the love of God. We're talking about living out the love of God. And all of a sudden, he throws in this doctrinal uh, characteristic of the invisible God right in the middle of this passage. I mean, that's a trait that only God has, right? He's invisible. John 4, 24 says that God is spirit. Verse after verse tells us that no one has seen God. 
And so here it is. And I I think I believe this is what John's doing. I think John is trying to drive home the point that Christians should love brothers and sisters in the Lord whom they can see. They're sitting right next to you. He's trying to say, look, you can see these people. And and you you say that you love God whom you've never seen. Wow. Ouch. One kind of hurt. See, God's given you a faith to love what you cannot see. You love God, don't you? I think there's many in this room who are professing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who are saved, who belong as children of God. You belong to the Father. Have you seen him? Did you see Christ crucified? Were you there? And yet you believe. In fact, the cross is so powerful to you, it dominates your life, doesn't it? See, I think this is what he's doing. There's a resurrected Christ. Did you see that? We see it clearly in the scriptures, don't we? And we believe it. So so John is pushing the church that you've been given this faith that loves an unseen God, love one another. Love your spouse. Love your children. Love those difficult in your life to love. Because if you can love me, God is saying, whom you have not seen, I grant you the faith to love one another. See, that kind of faithful love is full of grace and mercy. It's full of patience and kindness. It's a love that seeks the good for one another. It's love that seeks to be understanding but brothers and sisters, this work takes lo- this, this love takes work. I know that because I fail in it. I got to hear this. I got to read this for myself. I got to come back to what I believe. And say, Scott, that attitude, those thoughts, that words were not loving. Go make things right. See, our flesh, our flesh thinks the worst of each other, doesn't it? so easy, isn't it? It's so easy to let our flesh do the thinking for us versus the Spirit of God who the Bible says here dwells within us. See, our flesh always thinks the worst of one another. Our flesh is not kind and patient. Our flesh is our sinful desires within our life. Though we're saved, we still wrestle with the flesh, right? It's not patient. It's, it doesn't seek the good of others. We, we wake up thinking the good of ourselves. What have I done lately for myself? That's, that's the way we think, right? But look, if God has granted us the ability to love him, because we cannot love, the Bible is very clear, man, the world does not love God. We see it over and over in this passage. It does not love God the way God describes biblical love. But God has granted Christians the ability to love God despite not seeing him, so we should be able to love one another. And then he, notice the next phrase. He says, if we love one another, God abides within us. Well, notice this connection between the Christian experience with the love of God and their love for one another. I love this. If we love one another, God abides in you. God abides in you, you love one another. See, they go hand in hand. You can't say, well, I love God, but I don't like that guy at all. This little if, you see this if, I think all translations have this English word if in here. It's a little subordinating conjunction, and I like it because it tells us that we have the state, we have the ability, we have the possibility to make this true. Many times we ask people, do you love them? Well, I want to. The Bible says, in Jesus Christ, we have the ability to love unconditionally. So I think what God's word is telling us here is that true love for one another is possible. Got to work at it. Got to die to self. And it plays an important role in assuring us that God Almighty indwells us. A person who doesn't love, how would you ever believe that God dwells, indwells you? 
See, I think just the residency of God gives us power to love the way God loves. Now, why is John doing this? Why is he writing this? First century, church is scattered. John's most likely on Patmos because he's, instead of killing him, they, they take him away from the church. It's the worst thing you could ever do to a pastor. They took him away from the church. So why is he writing this? Well, I think John knew that the church was struggling, right? Abuse had happened, right? Persecution is taking place in the church because of their love for Jesus and their belief in him. So they're being persecuted, much like it does around the world and coming to a church near you today, even in America someday. So he knows that they're pulling back from their love. They're not conducting themselves as Christ followers. This is always the case, right? All churches struggle with this. So John is making somewhat a formal challenge. This is why I came up with this. I was studying this after I preached the Christmas Eve Eve service. I got studying these next couple of verses, and I got, oh, what a he's challenging us. John's challenging us to make sure that we do love one another because God himself abides, remains. Um, Minnow is the word. He takes full residence within you through his spirit. Now, I think John doesn't want the church to misrepresent God. I think that's real important here. He doesn't want the church to misrepresent God, and we do often, don't we? The way we speak to the lost sometimes, or the way we demonstrate our marriages in front of the lost, or whatever it may be. But John doesn't want that to happen. He wants us to rightly show the love of God. And think about how powerful this is, that the unseen God who was fully revealed in the incarnate Son, Jesus Christ, who provided a perfect propitiatory sacrifice for his people, he satisfied the wrath of God, has now revealed the true nature of love in those who experience his love. That's powerful. See, we look at Jesus, only the true Christian church sees Jesus as God because God unveiled his whole person in the person of Jesus Christ. He's the full deity, Colossians says, of God. God we cannot see, he unveiled himself in Jesus Christ, right? So, so that, that, that helps us understand that God, in a sense, think with me here, is manifesting himself through the loving and internal motives and motivation internally, not, not externally, but internally. God is manifesting his love through us. That's quite a responsibility, isn't it? I think this is where we have to be challenged. Where in our lives do we fail to manifest the love of God to others. I'll help at the end of the sermon with some things that we can work on. But this is what God's Word's telling us. This is the love of God. It's been established in your heart through the work of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what verse 13 says? By this we know that he abides, we abide in him. And he in us. Because he gave us a spirit. Isn't that amazing? He gave us his spirit. We, we have an understanding of this mutual relationship with God the Father. It's not grounded in some professed mystical event that takes place. This is not mysticism in any way. Nor is it given to us, this mutual relationship, because of some personal achievement that we got to. It's given to us purely by the grace of God. That's what verse 13 says. Because he, God, has given us his spirit. Word given there is, is in a perfect tense, meaning the time of salvation way back when we were saved, whatever time that was, he gave us his spirit and we'll have it forever. And so the gift of the spirit came at salvation. It continues to indwell us. It brought us to the point of regeneration. We were saved at that time of salvation and it with us for eternity. Now, let's be clear because I want to I make sure we understand the Spirit here. And this is where the church stumbles sometimes. The Spirit speaks through the Word of God because there is no greater Word to speak through. If we don't hold to that, then we got problems, right? Because the Spirit told me something, and He told you something, and we're all a mess because what's right and what's wrong. 
So let me say that again. The Spirit speaks through the Word of God because there is no greater Word to speak through. That's how the Spirit works. And the Bible's reminding us here, brothers and sisters, that God's love abides within us. And we belong to Him. And so the Spirit and the Word confirm together that true love is unconditional. Something we have to wrestle with. Can I love her unconditionally? Not based on what I get returned from her. Can I love you? Not based on what I get back from you. The Bible says we have the ability to do that. See, true love seeks reconciliation. True love seeks forgiveness. True love seeks peace. True love will sacrifice itself, humanly speaking, even though you don't know the outcome, true love will do that. I'll go help. I'll be a part of something. I, I don't know if I have the strength and the time and finances, but God, I, I know you want me to love this way. I'm going to step out and love you. See, faith is generating this. Forethought. I've got to keep moving here. My voice is limited. God's goal has always been to perfect his amazing, should be love, I left that out of your notes, sorry, his amazing love in his divine offspring. God's goal has always been to perfect his amazing love in his divine offspring. Notice the end of verse 12. And his love is perfected in us. What an amazing statement. Did you catch that scripture reading I had Rick read? Go to John chapter 17, right at the end of the high priestly prayer. John 17, starting in verse 22. Jesus has now poured his soul out to the, to the Lord, his Father. He's, he's ready to go. It's his hour has come. He's ready to go to the cross. He's, he's speaking of not only his 11 disciples, but all of those who will believe the truth. So all of the following disciples of Jesus Christ and now he uses some future tense here. He says, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. So the glory of God and, and the glory of the Son bring unity. He wants them to see their unity. So he wants the church, he wants the followers of Jesus Christ to have unity. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected. There's our word again. Perfected in unity. Would you ever challenge the Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father? You want unity in your home, in your church? That's what we pursue. We pursue the love of the Father and the Son. But, but there's so much more to it. So that the world may know that you sent me. See, our unity and our love for one another gives the great example of the Father and the Son. And so the world knows that Jesus was sent here. And the world knows that Jesus loves us. We, he wants the world to know that. They've been loved just as you love me. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, each person is a gift from, the, from God to the Son, right? We're this love gift. Be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, this essence, this beauty, this perfection of Jesus Christ, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundations of the world. This is the pattern of the Father. He loves eternally. And so the whole idea here is to teach us to love the way the Trinity loves, right? As you go back to John chapter 4, stop in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 4, stop in 1 John chapter 3. You know this verse, don't you? See or behold... Um, some of the translations have. How great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God. Now, now here's our motivation to love one another. If you, don't, if you won't seek reconciliation among the family of God, in a sense, you're rejecting the family in, in, in some way, Right? The Bible says, see how great the love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called 
the children of God. So we are his divine offspring. We're his children. I have four boys. They're Gina and I's offspring. And they have more boys, grandsons. That's what we do in our family. Um, They're their offspring. God gave us to the son and we are the offspring of the father. It's an amazing thing. So there's this great love. And you notice, notice that this, <clears throat> this love is bestowed. The word is didymi. It's given. It's this perfect active tense. He gave at a certain point. He gave us this love. We would be called his children. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. See, he's trying to perfect this love in us, right? He, he perfects it through salvation, but now it's a practice. It's working this out, right? Now he tells us how to do it. Chapter 5, verse 2. But whoever keeps his word, oh, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. So John's saying that the, believer, the believer's obedience to the word of God reveals that the love of God has been truly perfected in them. You want to know that you really belong to the Lord? The Bible says you will obey his truths. It's just, it, they go hand in hand. You can't say, well, I love Jesus. I'm going to go live like a devil. This doesn't, doesn't match. That's not, God's love is so transforming that it causes us to live according to his word. That's how we're identified in him. Notice this little phrase in this, back to chapter 4, verse 12 at the end. And his love is perfected in us. I, I had to sit and think about that a little bit. It's not, it's not my love. <laughs> so, someday, someday I will have perfect love. So right now in my flesh and the struggles that I go through, if I rely on my love, I'm going to be in trouble. But notice it's his love that perfects us. See, that's what now I can call on. I can say, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't love in this situation. I'm too hurt. I'm frustrated. I don't like what's going on. So God, I need your love. So see, this makes sense? Does anybody with me? Does anybody have some difficult situation in their life that you know in your own strength you're not going to be able to love your way out of this thing? See, he's given us his love. So it is the function of God's love that fills the heart of a believer. It stimulates and develops a love for one another like the love of God. It's interesting the word perfected is in the perfect tense. See, it means that there's a manner to it. It's something that that God started in us and has eternal ramification. It means that God himself made it his goal to produce love in us. I love that. God made it his goal to make us godly lovers of one another. See, this is why it's a challenge, isn't it? Is anybody passing yet? Because I, I mean, I'm studying this and going, whoa, I got some work to do. I need God's help. I need his love in some areas. There's a goal that God wants. G. Campbell Morgan, an old dead guy that I love to read, he was talking about this passage, and he, he said, he gives this illustration that the love of God is, is like this great truth that creates a spiritual root system that grows and develops as we obey God's word. It's not always seen. It doesn't break through the surface for a little while, but there's this great root system that's be, being grown and developed. But then all of a sudden... This love of God being developed in us bursts through the soil of our hearts and it provides this lush foliage and this beautiful cluster of flowers and this this sweet, vine-ripened, spirit-led fruit in our life when we yield to it. That's what it does. And so the love of God will put out a sweet aroma and you'll see the master's hand, the master farmer. You'll go, I know that's from God because I can't love in this situation on my own. He helped me die to myself. He helped me see the love that he has for me, how he sent his son to die for me. That, that love starts to generate stuff in you that you didn't know you could do. When we bow our knee to him, 
oh, oh, for sure, that love will be a, a foul aroma to many in the world. The Bible tells us that, 1 Corinthians. But to those who receive that love, it'll be a sweet aroma. In fact, the true love of God is irresistible. They want to know where you got it from. They want to know why you love in such a way, why you would care this way. See, I think this is the responsibility that belongs to forgiven people. If you have not been forgiven by your, of your sins from Jesus Christ and all your sins wiped out completely, past, present, and future, you haven't experienced this type of love. But forgiven people have. I mean, think about this. In, in a sense, the church is God's social media. He's posting through us. Right? I'll send Riverbend to do that. I'll send this sister over to minister to that brother in the Lord. He's posting through us. That's, it should have a lot of likes, right? Because God is showing his love through his church, his redeemed ones. That's the goal of his love being perfected in us. And look, if we don't, kind of like we deny the visible gospel, right? If we're not willing to forgive and reconcile and love, it's like we deny the visible gospel. See, this is a challenge, isn't it? When I put this challenge out here, it's all oh, this love. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea, Scott. Let's just go love. Not that easy, huh? We're sinners. We've got our problems. But God is in us. He dwells in us. And he, he has a, an amazing love that will come out of us. Last thought. Five. This is the practical aspect of it. God's greatest command calls for the greatest love to dominate our relationships. There are thousands of verses I could have chose. But I chose just a handful here. First of all, I go back to Jesus' words. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22. We start there. We go back and see that Jesus himself puts equality to loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other, in other places he says strength. As equal to us loving one another. You have to get that. Because most of us doctrinally sound Christians a lot of times will go, oh, I love God. He sent a son for me. Get away from me, Democrat. Right? Or a person that doesn't agree with your political views. Or a neighbor. Or maybe a spouse. See, he brings equality to loving God and loving one another. This is hard work. You've got to be able to say, oh God, I don't love this way. Will you help me? Don't forget that verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. Another verse that I want to give you an application. I think one that probably helps and challenges me as much as any verse in the Bible when it comes to these areas. Ephesians 4.32, you know this verse. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. I hear all the time, well, I've forgiven him. And I'll say, it doesn't sound like you're forgetting it. <laughs> See, it's the tender heart and it's the kindness because you know Jesus forgave you that begins to realize, hey, this person may not see all that they did to me. They may not see the magnitude of the hurt that they put me through. But I forgive because Jesus, God in Jesus, forgave me. So sometimes we want all our ducks lined up. We want them to come and tell me, all right, give me five things you did to me, and, I, and then we'll add another five after that. Then maybe we'll talk about forgiveness. That's what this verse does. 
And you go, Scott, you can get abused this way. They can run over you. Yep. Jesus hung on a cross. They ran over him pretty bad, didn't they? Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. This is what forgiveness produces, brothers and sisters. See, there's nothing more powerful than a forgiven person. There shouldn't be, at least. I mean, that's powerful when you know your sins are forgiven. You'll never stand before God and ever be condemned for anything you ever did because Jesus stepped in the way of the wrath of God and took that for you. There's nothing more powerful than that. And yet we withhold our forgiveness from people. We're not kind. We're not tenderhearted. And I'll tell you this, we won't be used to God. We'll just be another church on another corner with a lot of religious people. Another verse. Let me think my last. Well, no, one after that. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and, tw- 5, 18 and 19 tell us we have the ministry of reconciliation Now, all things are from God. The context has been that we're new creatures now. All things pass away. All things become new. We're new creatures. And it tells us that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He He showed it. He displayed it through Christ on the cross. So now we have the ministry of reconciliation. And so, brothers and sisters, we have to work hard to reconcile. It's hard. It's hard to go and meet with somebody. I've recently done this myself in an area I failed and I sinned in. I needed help. It's not easy to do. But it's what God wants. Are you willing? Are you willing to pursue the ministry of reconciliation, to be right with all people? I'm not talking unsaved. If, you're, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're Savior, this is going to be really hard to do. Some good principles that might make your life a little easier. But for us as believers... This is not a suggestion. We are to reconcile. We are to reconcile. The word means to be changed in position. It means at one point we were in opposition to this person. Now we need to be right with that person. Can you imagine a greater ministry than that? That brings love and peace. Think about marriages. Think about family situations. Think about people in this church. Last verse. has kind of two verses in it. 1 John 3.18, little children, right back to this text. 1 John 3.18, little children, let us not love in word or with tongue, but in deed in truth. I think John's saying don't be flippant about your love for one another. Ah, we love each other. We just have some problems. No, no. Solve the problem. Do the deed that it takes to solve the problems. Paul says it this way, speak the truth in love. John Stott said this, our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth, and our truth grows hard if it's not softened by love. There are times we have to speak the truth to one another, but Paul says speak it in love to one another. See, that comes back to that tenderhearted, that loving, kind, forgiven person, how we speak truth. Tim Keller says this, truth without love is arrogant self-righteousness. Love without truth is coward and self-indulgence. See, they go together. You say, well, Scott, how do we accomplish these verses? Let me just give you just quick, because I'm out of time. Slow to speak, quick to listen. Start there. Can I say this? Shut up. Listen. If you listen, they're not always going to say everything perfect. They're actually going to say some things that you're going to have to come back and deal with later. But just listen for a while. Just listen to them. Let them pour their heart out to you. Listen. So it's one of the first principles of biblical counseling is that we, we learn to gather data. We learn to listen. Be slow to speak. Be, be quick to listen. 
Ask God for kindness and sensitivity. It's one of the things we, we're missing, right? I think the world and all of it's going through is affecting us as well as Christians. We're not, the world's not very kind, and sometimes the church isn't. Ask God to give you kindness and sensitivity to others. This doesn't mean that we sweep stuff under the rug, because if you do, there's going to be a giant bump there, and you're going to trip over it, and it's going to make a mess. But it does say, God, help me be kind and sensitive. See, try, strive to understand what God's doing in this other person's life, in the situation they're in, to see this is how you reconcile, right? This is how we get things together. Say, brother, I, I, I don't know what's all going on in your life. Can, can you tell me why, why you're hurting? Or Let's work through this. I want to listen. I close with this example. Christ, while hanging on the cross, forgave his killers. It's just astounding, isn't it? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I mean, it's the ultimate display of love, isn't it? So, church, Riverbend Church, members of this church, do you want to love without limits? I want to. I've got a lot of work to do in my own life. I'm working on that. Will you work with me? Will we do this? Can we be a theologically sound church that loves one another and loves people who come in those doors? Father, help us. We've taken on a challenge of immensity. We know we stand perfected in you. You've perfected us in salvation, but we're still a work in progress as you mold us, transform us into the image of your son, and we fail, Lord. And so, Father, we've got to go back to that cross. We've got to go back to what you did for us through your son, Jesus Christ, to remind us, Lord. So this morning, I pray you would heal marriages in this room. You heal broken relationships. You would heal damage done maybe years previous that has not been reconciled, Lord. And Father, when we're weak and we can't do it on our own, may we go get a brother or sister to help us who would lovingly walk us through this. This would honor you, Lord. This is the way true Christians are to act. And so, Lord... From your word, we are putting out a challenge to ourselves. We want to love without limits. Would you help us? In Jesus' name, amen.